I've got a few points that I want to let you in on that I'm learning, okay? That I have not learned, but I am learning as a dad. And then we'll get into the scriptures. Number one, moms are superheroes, okay? Mark my words. They are superheroes. I know, you can clap. Go ahead, clap for the moms. Here's what I know now. Celebrating them one day a year is not enough. To my own mom, I say this. On my birthday, you can have the cake and the song and dance. I didn't do anything on that day but bring you great pain and discomfort. I know that now. And to my wife, I take a position of bowing to you. Two babies in one year. That is a miracle, by the way. If you think about what happens to the body in pregnancy, I know now that she couldn't see her feet for like 20 months in a row. And that she peed every time she sneezed. It's just the way it goes. And all along, you know what makes her my hero? She did not look at me and say, you did this to me. Thank you, babe. You're my hero. Number two, not all diapers are created equal. Two things to notice. Number one, I put this as number two. Also, you'll notice that that diaper on the right did not work. You'll notice my hand with a rubber glove. Yes, I wore one. If you're a parent, you know what that's called. It's called meconium. It's what's in the baby's stomach when they're inside the womb, and when they, when they come out, it comes out. It's protecting the stomach. Some of you are losing your appetite for lunch right now, and that's my goal. But I'm going to leave it up there for as long as I can and keep talking about it because that was crazy to deal with. I went to pick up Mia, and my hand went behind her neck, and there was poop on her neck. Big deal, big deal. I'm learning. Not all diapers are created equal. Number three, baby food is stupid. If you have kids, you understand it's outrageously expensive. But you know why it's stupid? Because the alternative of cutting up bananas and blueberries into bite-sized pieces so these kids don't choke and die is worse. So, point 3.1, baby food is awesome. I will buy it. I don't care how much it costs. Number four, sleeping is for non-parents. I'm convinced now more than ever, I will never, ever sleep again. We were married almost eight and a half years before we had kids. If I could go back, I would have hibernated like a bear <laughs> to prepare myself for madness. Number five, my memory is being erased. If you have kids, you understand this. What did we do before they came into existence? I don't know where we went. I don't know how we spent our time. Now all we do is hours and hours, we just stare at them and coo, make weird sounds as they make weird sounds back. I can't figure out though if it's that all these new, more permanent memories are pushing things out or if it relates back to my last point and that's that I don't get any sleep and my brain is actually being poisoned. I don't understand what's happening to me. And as a dad, the last thing I'm learning is to take each day one diaper at a time. That's a message for all of us, you know. Take each day one diaper at a time. We are going to get into the scriptures, so if you'll turn to John 13, I'm going to pray, and we'll get right to it. Father, I thank you for life, for new life, for these baby girls that I will continue to talk about this morning. I hope that it's not just my words that come through, but 
more importantly, that you would speak, that you would speak clearly. I thank you for an opportunity to minister your word and now be in it. Take us from where we are to where you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So one thing many of you probably aren't aware of is that Casey and I, we were that couple. We had decided we weren't having kids, ever. We went to the restaurant. We sat as far away from the alien children as we could. We had determined early on that no matter what others tried to convince us of, we weren't having kids. We had learned to dodge and deflect, to bob and weave, to get out of the way, to deflect the question. We had carved out for ourselves a seemingly easy breezy lifestyle without the chaos of kids. It was amazing. Then I met Pastor Ross. Not so amazing. Well, amazing, but let me tell you the story. So I'm at his house, and he starts to question us about family, the dreaded F word. He said stuff like, what's going on here? Is everything okay with you guys? It sounds like him. You've all had those conversations over lunch, haven't you? What's this deal with you guys not having kids? I tried to dodge and deflect, to bob and weave. And like it was yesterday, I can almost hear him saying these words. He said, you know, having children of your own is the best opportunity you'll ever have to make disciples. This morning, I want to talk about the relationship between making babies and making disciples. I'm going to spend some time pushing a little bit on how important it is for us to make disciples. It was in that moment, I wanted to kill him in his face. I knew he was right. I knew that making disciples is about serving and sacrifice. It's about teaching and guiding, challenging and inspiring I knew that we needed to have kids. It was part of our lives. I, now listen, I'm not encouraging those of you that are newlyweds or even if you've been married a while to have kids. Run, run far away. <laughs> Read Baby Wise. It will only confuse you even more. But don't have kids because I'm telling you to do it. I found a conviction in my life being about making disciples that led me to want and desire to have my own kids. What I want us to see together this morning is the parallel between the two. So there you are in John 13. I'm going to go to verse 33, and it says, My children, how fitting. Before we get too far, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, not to the masses. And some people call this his farewell discourse because he knew that his impeding death was on its way. He says, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews... So I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. The verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Everyone say this, say everyone will know if you love one another. Like making babies, making disciples is qualified by love. You know, there's a lot of young people here just returning from camp. I'm not talking about the bow and chicka wow wow kind of love. But if you look at John chapter 13, in these three verses, it's talking about a love that is the Greek word agape. Four times he uses that word. It's a selfless, sacrificial kind of love without condition. 
some religious scholars don't know how to define it. They can't qualify it. And so, literally, they say it's the Christian love because it doesn't add up in any other religion. It's pretty amazing. In fact, it's amazing as you read it in this context, too, because it says, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, if you have this kind of love for one another. It's the same word used in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, agape, selfless, sacrificial. Interesting to point out that agape is the kind of love that sent Jesus to the cross. Think about it. It's the kind of love that sent Jesus to the cross, and he's saying, I want you to have that kind of love for one another. The problem in our culture is that love seems to always demand reciprocation, right? No matter what kind of love we try to talk about, the romantic kind or not, if someone does not show a mutual response back, it must not be love. The reason we have this skewed view of love is because the damage of abuse and mistrust and misguided commitments, generations of divorce, all of these things leave us with a messed up understanding of what it means to love someone else and to be loved. We stay guarded. We don't want to get hurt. I'd say that we don't love because we're afraid that we'll put more into it than we'll ever get back. I wasn't having children because... My view of love thus far in my life meant that I was going to get some kind of crazy child because I was an insane young person, and I thought, hey, what goes around comes around. I'm avoiding having kids because that's going to be really bad. But you give way to a different kind of love. I'd say we don't disciple because we're afraid we'll put more into it than we'll ever get back. If we're not being met halfway, if there is no reciprocation, then I'm out. Then I became a dad. That's Isla Renee, born July 27th, 2012. It's been one long day since, girl. But if you look at her, she's got this white stuff on her. Do you see that? That's called uh, vernix. And it, it, it keeps their skin from being messed up inside the womb. And so they come out with it on them. I remember like it was yesterday this quality of love that erupted in my heart when she was born. It was my first born. She comes out all covered in this baby mayonnaise. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Anyone that tells you that their newborn is cute, they are lying to you. <laughs> They're like aliens. They're blue, all puffy and swollen. They have this goo on them. Kids don't show up bearing gifts or a full-time job, although I asked for that. They just show up. And in return, I just loved her in that moment. It was an overwhelming kind of love that I had not experienced before. It did not re demand reciprocation. I was not loving her back. I didn't respond to anything that she had done. In my heart, it was agape a selfless, sacrificial kind of love. And in John 13, this is the one that he asks us to have for one another. How in the world do we do that? Now listen, I do know that they are just precious little babies right now. They don't have much opinion. Those of you that are parents of teenagers or maybe you're an empty nester, you're looking at me going, hey, it's not always that easy to love them back. I get it, 
but it's the parallel of that moment that I want us to see. If you go back and you see that Jesus says, this is how they will know you're my disciples, it makes sense now. Everyone in all the world would have to go on notice because of the unique withstanding quality of love that we have for one another. You know, in this body right now, in this family, as you look around, if we could break through the mold of what love is in culture and we could love one another no matter what, the people that know you, the people that know us, they would have to go on notice, wouldn't they? They would have to respond and say, I do not know what kind of love that is that does not demand reciprocation. What is so different about those people? It makes us light in darkness, salt to the earth. Can you see how this would affect discipleship for us if we could get there? Here's a big point I want to make. If we have agape love for one another, we get to put away performance anxiety. You're like, performance anxiety? I don't have performance anxiety. I'm going to be really transparent this morning, and I'm going to talk about the body of Christ as a whole. You might fit into the things I'm saying, you might not. Either way, I don't want you to be offended. I'm just trying to share the word of God. But as I see it, church most often is a place where we come and we put on our best face and everything's perfect in our world. We don't really let people in. Why? Because they will see us for who we really are. And what happens then? They don't respond the way we want them to respond. We're not accepted. Most of us, if we're honest, we do have performance anxiety. But if we have agape for one another, I can be myself. I don't have to wonder what you think of me when I walk away. You take me as I am no matter what. That's agape. I don't have to try to be something I'm not to achieve your acceptance that we would just love one another. That is the entry point for discipleship. To be discipled by somebody, you have to put an element of trust in them that they're not going to let you down. But what happens when they do? You still got to love them. It's the kind of love Jesus is speaking about in John 13. Number two, like making babies, making disciples requires endurance. I'm going to read a few verses out of 1 Corinthians 13. You'll know it as the love chapter of the Bible. And they're verses that until I understand agape, I don't really get how this can be done. This is also that same word. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. We sing about it. Love never loses faith. It always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance. It endures through every circumstance. I think in our culture we have a misguided understanding of what unconditional love is. We don't sign up for that kind of love because we think that it's a blind love that just loves no matter what, even if there's abuse. But that's not what unconditional love is. Unconditional love is a love that presses through all conditions, that it endures through every circumstance, that you keep going even when it doesn't feel like you can. doesn't mean you turn blindly to it, but you don't give up, you endure. Pastor Ross has made it very apparent 
that endurance is what he is after. If you were here last week, you hear him talk about the fall semester of Connect Groups, and he commissioned all of us to sign up for one type of group, maybe going to the disciple circles that he's going to lead on Sunday and Tuesday nights, or, or opening your home for uh, a dinner club and inviting people over to, to share a meal with you and to pray together, or, or starting one of these Explore God groups that is going to focus on answering the hard questions about discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. And I don't know if you were here last week, if you remember, but he said something very specific. He said, hey, I am going to require a commitment out of you that you show up a minimum amount of times. He wants us to endure this because he knows this, that relationships do not happen on accident. Can we get that? Think, think about the people you know. It didn't happen on accident. The people that you're sitting next to, the way that we're going to move forward into making disciples is going to have to happen on purpose. We're going to have to give up some things. There's a whole group of teenagers down here in the front. Wasn't it great to have them here worshiping down the front? I was thinking about my, my, my daughters and them becoming teenagers and me sitting somewhere in the congregation and watching them worship without regard, just unabandoned to Jesus. For those of you that are parents of them, that must feel amazing to know that they're responding to God on their own. But they went away for the last three days, pouring into one another, building relationships, not on accident, but on purpose. No sleep for many, no showers for a lot of them. I can smell it. They gave up some things so that discipleship would take place. Listen, if I'm honest with us as a whole, as, as a body, as a church, the majority of us would not be willing to give up or we would see no way in our current schedule to give up some things to make discipleship happen. We cannot imagine adding anything to the list, right? And then I became a dad. So if you notice, that's where the baby comes from. Next picture. That's me wanting to send that one back to where she came from. <laughs> I know they're only a year old. A year apart, sorry. But sometimes it feels like a cruel joke, if I'm being honest. feels like we've been living one long day. Day in and day out, we find ourselves calling new audibles as we try to adjust to two babies in one year. This one's learning to walk and cutting teeth, and this one has acid reflux and need, needs constant attention. And I go off to work, and I just think, oh, Lord, I hope you can help my wife. It's not always easy, yet we endure. Our girls have changed the definition of a clean house, of a road trip. Yeah, that ain't happening. Of going to the grocery store or coming to church and on and on, yet we endure. We continue on without things that we thought we had to have. That's what happens in making babies and making disciples. You don't want to you know, do you know what one of the hopeful things is about endurance? I want us to get this today. The season of life you're in right now will not last forever. Think about it. The season of life you're in right now will not last forever. Some of you may want it to last forever because you've never been happier. Some of you can't wait for this one to pass so you can get on out of depression or guilt or struggle, whatever. For parents of two infants... I don't want it to last forever. 
Think about the seasons of this world, the ones that God set in motion. We live in Austin, right? Do you want summer to last forever? This place is crazy hot right now. I get like a sunburn from my seat. I don't get what's happening in summer, but when we transition to the fall in Austin and the winter, it's amazing. We reap the benefits of that because we endure. That's how it relates to discipleship. We've got to remember that the season we're in will not last forever. Number three, like making babies, making disciples yields a great reward. I'm going to read one verse out of Matthew 10. This is Jesus speaking again. And he tells us one of the most countercultural ideas that, we've, that we can find in Scripture. It says in verse 39 of chapter 10, it says, Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. A great reward is found in making disciples. It's not an epiphany, but the word disciple comes from the English word discipline. And we typically do not associate discipline with reward, do we? We, we associate discipline with pain. Unless you're working out and you know full well that you're going to reap the benefits one day, right? I'm calling us as a church to endurance in the discipleship journey to not give up, to keep pressing on. When things get hard in your life and you feel like you need to tuck away and go isolate yourself and not stay in a discipleship relationship, that is the devil. The enemy wants to isolate you, to make you understand, to make me understand and be tricked into believing that the season I'm in will last forever. It won't. We have to endure like parents do with their kids. Discipleship is the same. And it yields a great reward. We lose something, but we find life. When we choose to live for the good of someone else, it does have a countercultural, kingdom of God kind of reward. Think about how it feels to reach out. You guys remember going back to Love Austin? How great it feels to do something good for someone else. That's a God given feeling. It's a response we have to the way he would live his life. The reward makes the demand not only bearable, but something we appreciate and want to keep going back to. We lose, and yet we find. And then I became a dad. Listen, I don't have a real detailed message for us this morning other than if I look at the microcosm of the Irwin family, of this family unit that's developing. I see a smaller picture of the one chapel family at large. That relationships are just beginning and so many of us have found freedom from sin or from an addiction or feeling isolated and we're in new relationships. I see it happening everywhere, it's so hopeful. Yet I also know that we are only at the beginning of what the Bible tells us discipleship is about. We could just continue on, just having Sunday services. We all come here for an hour and a half and then we go home, couldn't we? We could just keep doing that. And some of us would find life. Other of us, others of us would stay stuck. But it would be church as usual. But the decision that our pastor has made is to go deeper than that, to really define discipleship. 
I get to talk about him when he's not here because if he was here and I said the things that I say, it would kind of puff him up. But he's an amazing leader. Many of you responded earlier when I said, so what is it? Are you just not having kids? Because you've had similar conversations with him about what's going on in your life and he's helping you. He's, he's challenging you to come up. He's discipling you. He's doing it as an example for all of us. But we've got to get the right kind of love, right? Think about it. We've got to get the right kind of love because many of us in this room, we say, well, I could never disciple someone. I don't have anything to give. That's the point. Somebody else needs you. Not because of what you've got, but because of what Jesus is teaching you and you're supposed to take them alongside. Or you're supposed to go and find someone that's trustworthy and is more mature than you in the faith. And you're supposed to ask them to come into a discipleship relationship with you because you've been isolated and alone. And Sunday services is, is all you've been getting into. It's all you know of church. The point is that there are people all over the spiritual spectrum here at One Chapel. Some, you're blown out diapers every other day. And it's okay. Some are learning to walk. And, and there's pillars of the faith, mature believers that we don't even know it, but they're right behind us. And they're, they're keeping us from knocking our heads on the countertop. And there are people like Kim Swafford and Ken Parsley and Ken Robinson and Eric Gomez and Charles Thornton and, and on and on and on and on. But they can't do it alone. Not only can they not do it alone, but the people that they're discipling are already taking their time, their energy. They've kind of got their hands full, so to speak. And so what we're asking is that the rest of us would raise our hands and say that I want to be used in that way. And that we commit to it. What does that mean? We got to give up some things, right? The dream in America is to succeed and to, to do all of these things that revolve around monetary gain and to live the life that God calls us says that we have to what? We have to lose it to find it. You might have to give up some things. I'm telling you now, you will. I don't get to speak every week and so I can come a little bit forceful and again, I'm sorry, but I believe that we have to give up some things that are about us so that our lives can be about someone else. Relationships do not happen on accident. How is the person next to you going to grow if someone's not pouring into them? You say, well, I don't know where I fit. I don't know if I should disciple somebody or if I should be discipled by somebody. Yes, do both. Now, look, if you're that age spiritually, like my daughters, you may not have much to pour into somebody literally in the sense of knowledge of the Scriptures, and so you just need to get into a relationship with somebody that's more mature than you that you trust and start being vulnerable. These are the things that Pastor Ross is going to share on Sunday nights and on Tuesday nights is the disciple circles. It's how we are going to define discipleship. And so I want, I mean, my, my desire is everybody choose one of those nights and come. Everyone. You will not be disappointed in that. It'll help you see where you fit. Think about that. Our pastor is taking up, he got five kids. He's giving away two nights a week. 
He's never going to stand up here and say that to you. And we say, we say to him in our meetings, you know, Ross, that's going to cost you some time with your family or, or, or you're going to have to shift around to make time. We're going to make sure you do that. And you're going to have to give away some, some, maybe even some study time for Sunday. And he says, I don't care. If we're going to grow up as a family, if we're going to make disciples, we've got to see that the reward is at the end of enduring love. That's what this message is about. Like making babies, making disciples is about an enduring kind of love that yields a great reward. I'm not trying to sell you something. If you don't believe in it, that's fine. It's kind of like when I was talking to the married couples, they're wondering if they're going to have kids. Run, run far away if you're not ready. But discipleship, I think the majority of us need it. We're ready for it. We're ready to go arm in arm with somebody through our daily life and not feel like we're just doing it alone. And so as the band comes up and as we close, I just want you to close your eyes where you're at. And I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to pray for very specific things. Because I think we need to turn the corner, one chapel, as a family. We need to turn the corner. We're almost three years into this. And if we're going to be more than just a church that meets on Sundays, we've got to make disciples. There's no way around it. If I could echo the words of Pastor Ross to me about making babies, I'd say, one chapel, you know, this may be the best opportunity you'll ever have to make disciples. So here's my prayer over you. Father, help us understand what agape love looks like for the person next to us. That we'd stop backbiting and we'd stop gossiping and we'd start loving without condition. Father, help that love to grow inside of us to a place that we do not carry performance anxiety when we come into this house. No one's judging us. We just get to be right where we are. I don't have to wear a mask. I don't have to fake anything. I get to be myself, and that's enough. Like a child. I just feel in my heart that's where so many of us are. We, we know that discipleship is the right thing, but we just can't let people in. There's too many secrets in there. We've got to lay them down. And then, Father, let that love endure. That when we want to give up, we keep going. That when we sign up for one of these groups, whether we go to Ross's meeting or we do an Explore God group, only a couple people show up, we endure because you told us to do it. If I open my home for a dinner club and I invite all of my neighbors and friends and family, if only a couple people show up, it's okay. Father, help us endure. And then, Lord, help us to realize that if right now in life, we're at a place where we cannot see clearly how discipleship is going to work. 
Help us to know that this season will not last forever. That you're with us always. And that there's a great reward in making disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.